Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Welcome again to RUF. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Um, it is, in talking to you, several of you before RUF kind of got started, uh, I was hearing that like this is the time of the semester when things, where you realize like, oh yeah, I'm in college and there's like tests and quizzes and stuff. And, and so I'm, I'm especially thankful that you came, even though this is a time of the semester where you start to feel the stress a little bit. So thanks for coming. And uh, as many of you know, RUF is a Christian community at UConn. And what that means is we look to Jesus as our source of truth and life. Um, And we're about Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus is about is welcoming all who would come uh, to hear. And so um, it's our hope that RUF would be a place where Christians would come and find rest, where they'd be challenged, equipped to serve, uh, fed, uh, and it's our hope that this would be a place where those exploring Christianity would be able to come as well and ask questions and think through uh, who Jesus is and who the Bible uh, says he is and what the Bible says uh, about everything. So um, for that reason, we look at the Bible each week in our UF. And this semester, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, the short little letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And just to give you some background, if, if you haven't been here or if you need a reminder, uh, this is Paul. Uh, he was a missionary, so he uh, traveled the world starting churches, and he started a church in a place called Ephesus, which was in Turkey, in a big city, modern city in Turkey. And um, he's, he's writing to them now from prison uh, because he's been arrested in, and then imprisoned in Rome for his faith. And uh, in this letter, so he writes them a letter from prison, and he starts off, the first week we were here this semester, we talked about how he couldn't just stop talking about God's love and God's grace. And then last week we looked at this passage, the next passage, where he prayed for them, and he prayed specifically that these Christians would really know, like, you got to really know this grace. And tonight he kind of puts a microscope up to grace, Uh, to give us the details of how God's grace works. And so this is a really important passage, and uh, it's really, yeah, challenging in a lot of ways. So let's just get to it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us before we look at this text. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we need your help, uh, your guidance uh, to understand it and make sense of it. And uh, we especially need your help to change our hearts and all the ways uh, and to mend them from all the ways that they're broken and twisted and uh, not the way they're supposed to be. We pray that you would uh, show us your truth and that your truth would set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm just going to go get my water here. My mouth got suddenly dry. Thank you. Ah, Okay. Um, One of the amazing things about the book of Ephesians, which is easy to forget, is that it's written by Paul, who is a crazy figure in history uh, because of who he used to be. This is a guy who's now, like I said, imprisoned for being a Christian, for preaching the Christian message. And he used to hate Christians. Like, he devoted his life to stomping out Christianity. And now he is putting his life on the line for Christians. He's putting his life on the line for the church. From prison, he thinks, what should I do? Oh, I'll write a letter to these Christians that I love. Um, So he's a guy who did awful things, like oversee the killing of Christians. And now he can't stop thinking about the Christians that he loves and equipping the church and growing the church of Jesus Christ. And um, every one of his letters now... All the letters that he writes in the Bible are overflow with love. And today we're going to take a look at the grace that changed Paul, um, that altered his life forever in hopes that we might uh, come alive as well. Uh, And so this is a passage where Paul is kind of essentially saying, Christian, remember your story. Remember your Story, And so uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at who we were, what God did, and who God is making us. So three things. Who we were, what God did, and who God is making us. So first of all, who we were. And this passage says it pretty in pretty stark terms. He says, you were dead. You were dead in, your trust, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, is what Paul says. Uh, which is a very stark thing to say. I remember one time in college... Um, the college I went to had a grassy area out there, just like the one out there, kind of. And I was playing Frisbee out there uh, one day, and a friend of mine who was a pre-med student walked by, and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to work on my cadaver in the anatomy lab. Like, do you want to come? I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. Sure. And so me and a friend go to this lab, and the, like, he pulls back the sheet, the sheet, and there's a dead guy <laughs> lying there, cut down the middle, and I still remember what he looked like. Like, it was crazy, and uh, he was, like, pulling body parts out and holding them in his hand, and, and he was like, you know, you can, like, 
I can remember kind of like tapping him on the forehead, expecting him to respond. Like, I was just like, this is weird. He's going to like wake up. And, uh, but no, he was, he was a dead, he was, he was a cadaver. Uh, he was totally dead. And um, that's what Paul wants us to understand about who we were. Uh, he wants us to understand the unresponsiveness of death. To say that we're dead in sin, what he's talking about is how unresponsive we were to God before we came to see who Jesus was. Um, you know, contrast that unresponsiveness of death with the life and the glory and the power and hope that Paul's been talking about all along in this letter. Uh, he's saying, no, who you were, who we all were, was like God, like there was no response to God. Uh, we all come into the world as unresponsive to God as that dead man was to me. And what he's saying is that without Jesus, life is a pale shadow of what it's supposed to be. Uh, so much so that Paul can't even really call it life. And so he says, we were dead. Uh, but the second thing he says about who we were is that this deadness was actually kind of like a form of slavery. And he uses that phrase, following the course of this world. And what he's saying there is that when we choose life without God, we can't get out of it on our own. It's like kind of like jumping into a stream with like a swift current. And it just kind of, he's picturing like being taken along. Um, and, you know, you might say, well, that sounds kind of extreme. I don't know. Like, Paul, it seems like he might be overstating things a little bit. I don't know. But I want you to think about that question then. Like, think about it in these terms. Have you ever, have you ever hurt someone that you actually love? I have. I think we all probably have, right? And it's like, why did you do that? And, you know, if we're honest, we have to say, I don't really know. Or have you ever done something that you said you would never do again? You know, all these irrational things, these irrational behaviors that we have, we have to acknowledge that on some level, what Paul is talking about, this idea of being carried along, is kind of right. Like, we're not as free as we think because we often do the things that we don't want to do. Uh, I think I bring this kid up every, like, year or semester at UConn, but uh, the mac and cheese kid. Uh, <laughs> five years ago, I think that was now, four or five years ago. You may not know this story. Uh, who doesn't know the mac and cheese kid story? Anybody? Oh, just the freshman. <laughs> okay, well, the mac and cheese kid was uh, just downstairs in the student union uh, dining hall thing. Uh, this guy came in drunk and demanding jalapeno bacon mac and cheese. And he was verbally abusing the workers and just laying into them and he got physical with them and he got arrested and this was all captured on video and it became a viral sensation, just how bad this kid looked. And it was so bad, that, like it was on national news, like UConn student like verbally abuses employee and, um, and he actually later issued a YouTube apology video, and I remember watching it, and, uh, and one of the things he says, I, he says, I watched that video, and I can't believe it was me. Like, I don't see how that could be me. And what I want you to see is that's a perfect, like, that's us. Like, I mean, we didn't necessarily do what he did, but, like, that's, like, there are times in life where you think, like, you do something, you think, that was me? Like, I'm capable 
of that's how. But I am. Like, what he didn't see, like, that was him. Like, that was the real him. And it's something we have to come to terms with, is who's the real me? And so, uh, that um, we're dead and we're enslaved. And the result is that uh, we face condemnation. And this is another tricky idea, especially in modern culture. It says we were by nature children, uh, objects of God's wrath. And when we hear the word wrath, I think we immediately are like, I don't like that. It sounds kind of primitive, right? Wrath? Come on. Um, but what I want you to see is that wrath is deeply connected to love. Uh, one writer put it this way. God's wrath is his personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with it, and his resolve instead to condemn it. See what it's saying? It's saying God's wrath doesn't mean he's grumpy. It means he loves his world. Uh, you know, he created a good world, and he loves it so much, and, but his wrath is directed toward that which messes up the good world that he created. I relate to this deeply uh, because I have, I have two kids now. I can remember having my daughter. My wife uh, gave birth to my daughter, and I met my daughter, Margot, for the first time five and a half years ago. And I remember immediately having the instinct when I saw her that, like, I would kill for her. Like, it was a visceral, like, dad reaction. I was just like, I will protect this girl. No one's going to hurt her. And that's love, right? That's not, I mean, that, that is wrath that comes from a place of love. Um, another way to think about it is, like, a shooter, you know, there's all these shootings all the time now, right? And uh, what has happened recently in some of the shootings is that uh, there's someone there with a gun. And they shoot the shooter. And everyone's like, oh, good. Like, they, they saved all these lives. And, you know, no one approves of shooting someone and killing them. But uh, we do approve of it if it's saving the lives of many others, right? Uh, it's another illustration of wrath. It's taking out in per- people that are destroying people. And so what we're talking about is God's opposition against evil. He hates anything that messes up his good creation, and especially anything that hurts people, because he loves people. God, like people are the top of what God cares about. But here's the problem. We all hurt people. Every one of us hurts people. In other words, like we're all actually the shooters in that illustration. Okay, so what does it mean? You know, we live in a world that's unquestionably broken. Like I've talk to you, all of you. I hear all about the good and the bad in your lives, and there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. Um, but what this is saying is that, you know, the bad in this world, the bad in our, like, it's really bad, and we contribute to the badness. Like, we're part of the problem. We hate that our world is sad, but all of us also contribute to the sadness so, so far, this passage has been a total downer, right? Like, if it were to end here, we would just be in a hopeless situation. Like, this would be like, all right, this is horrible. See you later. But verse 4 totally shifts the tone of the passage. It says, but God. But God. Uh, and that's where we get to what God did. It says, God made us alive. Uh, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our 
trespasses made us alive together with Christ. And I want to just highlight a couple things about God making us alive. And the first thing is that it's God's work. God did it. Uh, It's God that makes us alive, which is different than a lot of the way a lot of people view salvation. A lot of people kind of view it like I, I made a commitment to God and then I'm saved. But this passage actually says that God does it all. In other words, if you put your faith in Jesus, it's because you've already been made alive by God. And Paul is hammering this home. Like, he won't stop hammering home. It's like, it's by grace you've been saved, not your own doing. Like, he, he repeats himself over and over. And I want you to think about why. Like, why does he care so much about this point that it's not your own doing? God does it. It makes, sense a lot of, it makes a lot of sense to me because I know who I was. So I grew up as a Christian, kind of always as long as I remember. But uh, I was a very judgmental and critical person for most of my life until I came to know what grace was really about. So, you know, if you knew me in high school, uh, college, you probably would have been like, man, Lucas is kind of a jerk. Like, Lucas turns his nose up at people and Lucas kind of thinks he's better than certain types of people and he talks down about people in all these ways and you know the reality was I kind of thought that like I was I put my faith in God like why can't other people do that you know when the rea- what I didn't know yet was that the only reason I could put my faith in God was because he saved me because he made me alive. And what that means is like, all we can do is be humble. If you're a Christian, all you can do is be humble because there's no more us versus them. Like, it's just, we're all us. Like, we were all doomed. There's no, like, I'm, you know, there's no, like, you're kind of dead and I'm very dead. You're either dead or you're not. So I wanna ask you, are you someone who looks down on people? Are you often critical of people? Uh, if so, why do, why do you think that is? Paul would say it's because on some level you think that maybe Jesus had to die like a little less for you than for them or something like that. But the gospel proclaims that uh, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It's either Jesus had to die for you or he didn't. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is an amazing... Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was put to death by Nazis for trying to assassinate Hitler. Uh, that's how cool he was. Uh, pastor. He was a pastor and he tried to kill Hitler, um, which is amazing. And in prison, he, uh, he uh, formed all these communities in prison and he really got into like, the idea of community while he was uh, waiting to die. And um, this is what he said about... Um, I guess like loving people that have done awful things. He says, anyone who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. Hear what he's saying? If you know what you've done, if you know what you've really done, you can't look down on anyone, even the worst. You'll say, that's me actually. Uh, I want you to think about how good your relationships with friends and loved ones would be if you had, had that posture toward them. Think about how much easier it would be to forgive if this was your story. I was dead. I had no life. The fact that I have any life at all is a miracle. Therefore, I can love anyone. 
okay, but how do we actually come alive then? Um, and this passage says it's in Christ. Uh, in verse 8, Paul makes a point of saying that we're saved by grace. It's this gift of God, and he says it's through faith. Uh, and what you can't miss is that Paul's not asking us to put our faith in any set of ideas, uh, but rather in the person of Jesus. Uh, he's saying, like, put your faith in Jesus. Uh, and he uses this language of with Christ, in Christ, with Christ, made alive with Christ, raised up with him, seated us with him, shows kindness to us in Christ. And I want you to think about what it means to have your faith in Christ. Uh, a few of you, several of you, many of you were at my house for the Super Bowl uh, the other night, and we often have people over in our basement for different things. And I can remember, uh, usually I bring my kids down at some point uh, when people are over at my house. And, uh, you know, Margo used to do this when she was littler. Now Asher does this where I, like, carry them down. And they go into this room, and there's all these people they don't know, and they immediately, like, grab onto my shirt. Like, I'm holding them, but they're, like, grabbing my shirt, and holding on to me. And, you know, what, what they're doing there is, like, they're uniting themselves. They're, they're attaching themselves to me and saying, like, I'm going to go where you go. I'm not going anywhere that you don't go. And that's really what faith is. And, and the interesting thing about it is that, like, I'm the one holding her. Like, her grabbing my shirt isn't, like, actually securing her to me. But uh, she has, you know, like... It's that thing where, like, the, the quality of your faith isn't what matters, but the object of your faith. Is it holding you? Okay, here's the amazing thing about God's grace. When you come to see yourself as someone who's distant from God, from some, for, as someone who, yeah, I, I really do do things that I don't like. Like, I don't like myself a lot of the time. I can't really change. Um, I do things that hurt people. God because he's rich in mercy, because of he has great love, he provides a way to make us his. And it happens as you cling to Jesus in faith. It happens as you come to know the one that's actually attracted to people like you, weak and broken people, people that have made a mess of their lives. And when you do, you become united to him. Uh, this big idea in this passage is being united to Jesus. In Christ Jesus, it says over and over again. And uh, I always use the illustration of Mickey Mouse. Uh, my kids have not yet been to Disney, but they have been to Times Square, where they have like those knockoff Mickey Mouse characters that are kind of like shady, and uh, then you like slip them a dollar, and you can like take a picture with them. And there's an Elmo there too. I can remember we took Margot there when she was little, and. The amazing thing about when the little kid sees this character, like, there's like a shady dude in there, right? But the Mickey costume is on. And so for Margot, it's like, that's Mickey. Like, I'm going to get his autograph. And like, those Mickeys, like, they sign autographs, you take pictures with them, and it's like, that's them. Like, don't tell a little kid that that's not Mickey. Like, it's Mickey. Like, we have the picture to prove it still. Like, I got my picture with Mickey. And union with Christ is like that. It's like putting on a Jesus cop. Like this is saying that the result of putting your faith in Jesus is that you put on this Jesus costume that makes you him. That's how salvation works. Like you, in the eyes of God the Father, you become him. His, like, his death becomes your death. That's why you're not guilty anymore. 
because he died, so you die. Uh, his resurrection becomes your resurrection. That's why you can live forever, because he now lives forever, and you're in him. Uh, he now sits on the throne in heaven, and what this is saying is in some amazing, mysterious way that I don't quite understand. Like, that's our seat at the right hand of God. In other words, when, you, when your faith is in Jesus, you come alive because he's alive forever, because he is life. Um, so that's uh, who God's making us. Or that, that's, uh, you know, how God saves us. But I want to look at who God is making us. And at the end, we get it at the end here. You know, Paul's clear to say that there's nothing good you can do to make God like love you any more than he already does. You can't do anything to gain God's acceptance. It's only by grace. But in verse 10, he's very clear to make the point that the effect of it is that you become someone who does good works. He says that we're created for good works. Now, we were created to love one another. We were created to live together in harmony. And we all want that. Like, we all want to be someone who loves, I think. Someone who has people that, that they love. Someone who does the right thing. Someone who uh, lives an exemplary life. And what I want you to see is that you, the only way you'll ever have it is if you come alive first. You need to come alive. The only way to come alive is in Christ. Clinging to him in faith. And the only way you'll ever do that is if you give up on this project of pretending you don't need him. Pretending that life is just like okay without him. Because it's not. It's just not okay without him. But if you do need him, if you do cling to him, you'll come alive. And God will make you into someone stunning like Paul. Someone that, someone that just has grace oozing out of them. Someone that can love the unlovable, even love their enemies. That's what grace does. Uh, that's the story of the Christian. Uh, let's pray that it would be our story. Uh, Father, we uh, pray that you would be at work to help us live into this story. Help us to know who we are. Help us to know what you've done and help us to become uh, the people that you intended. Uh, help us to become lovers like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand for our last song.